Good morning, everyone. <coughs> the first reading today is from Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to, th- to 3. The Lord has said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Uh, second reading is from uh, Acts uh, chapter two, verse. Uh, sorry, Acts chapter two, verse twelve, to chapter three, verse twenty-six. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, uh, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made these men walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and the righteous one and asked that the murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. 
It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among, from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Everyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offsprings, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Thanks, Pung. Good morning, everyone. My name's Stephen, one of the ministers here, if I haven't met you before. Now, the, the greedy side of me um, loves the idea of making money without even really trying. Like, I, I barely know what Bitcoin is. I don't, I don't quite know how it works or what it does. But I, I still love the idea that, you know, you could slap down some money on Bitcoin, however you do that, get the time right, read the time right, and then magically somehow make a whole heap of money from it. Or there's this, um, this suburb in Sydney called Balmain, and um, it used to be considered this dump of a place where only wharfies lived. Uh, and I wished I'd been good at reading the Times and had bought a place back then, there in Balmain, because now, you know, if you can see the little place there, you can't even really see it, but if you look hard, there's a place there. Now, if you um, slap a bit of paint on a place like that, that shares walls on each side with a neighbour, and you get a real estate agent to um, spice up your photos with AI so that it looks better than it really is in reality, right now, you can sell it for $3.1 million dollars. But the, the truth is I'm not really good at reading the time, so I, I don't buy risky currencies or houses or risky anything really. But some people, they're either really lucky or they're really good at reading the times. They seem to have this, this ability to know what you should buy, when you should buy it, when you should sell it. But then, sadly, you hear of other people who are either really unlucky or really terrible at reading the times, like... Um, you hear stories of people who, who sold their house just before COVID and then before they could get back in the market, uh, housing prices had gone up 50% and they found themselves locked out of it, which is tragic. When it comes to things like finances, getting the time right is pretty key. This can be true in, in other spheres of life as well. You know, Parents need to be able to get the time right for things to go well with their kids. Like, is this the time to be really close to your kids there on the sidelines cheering loudly? Or is this a time to be silently sitting in the car parked several blocks away? 
You know, getting the time right with your kids can be the difference between a good relationship or a strained relationship. Politicians need to be able to get the time right for things to go well with their electorate. Is this the time to be out fighting fires or the time to be holidaying in Hawaii? Getting the time right, it it can be the difference between getting elected or not. And on a, a bigger scale, getting the time right for a nation is critical. Is this the time to be raising taxes or lowering taxes, investing in coal or in hydrogen, investing in naval capabilities or long-range missiles. Now, what we see in our, our passage today that was just read for us is that there is one key critical way that we all need to get the time right. There's one time we need to read right that, that's far more important than getting financial times right, getting political times right, or even getting parenting times right. There's one time that if we do get right, our lives will be unshakable. But if we do get it wrong, our lives just cannot stand. As we keep reading through Acts, the big thing we see today is that getting the time right really means getting Jesus right. That's what we're going to see, but we'll come to that in a bit. Because first, what we see is that getting the time right also means getting on with the task. So this is our first point. What we see is getting the time right means getting on with the task. Just before Jesus goes back to heaven, he says this to to his apostles. Um, Look again at chapter 1, verse 12. Jesus says to them, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus tells them this is the time for them to get on with this task. And last week we we saw this task begin. Uh, Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit like he said he would. And the apostles get on with witnessing to Jesus like he told them to. And by the end of that day... About 3,000 people had become followers of Jesus. Now imagine this morning, if there were 3,000 of us here, I'm not sure how that would work, but just imagine there were 3,000 of us. And imagine it not being the complete chaos that it probably would be, but imagine it's, it's like what it was back then. People really devoted to God. People really devoted and effectively caring for each other. And each week, more and more people appearing. Do you know what I'd be tempted to think if I was a leader back then? I'd be tempted to think, well, that's job done, isn't it? The task might be to take Jesus' name to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, but I'd be tempted to kind of forget that and just get completely caught up in in keeping things going as they are. But that wouldn't be getting the time right. And so even though a huge number of people in in Jerusalem have turned to Jesus, God doesn't consider that the task is now complete for them, not even in Jerusalem. And what we see next is that Jesus works through his apostles again. And this time, though, this time he takes their witness to the very heart of Jerusalem, to the temple. So what happens is Peter and John, they, they head up to the temple to pray at 3 p.m., which is a a time when a whole heap of people 
would head up to pray at the temple. And at the gate, they um, come across someone who's lame, someone who's always there just before 3 p.m. every day at the same place, but he's not there to pray. He's there to beg from the crowds who are coming into the temple at that time of the day. And just like people these days in the city, you know, it seems like most people are just streaming by him, seeing him, but not really seeing him. Maybe they try not to see him. But Peter, he he makes eye contact. Peter wants his attention. He wants him to hear that without a doubt that it's in the name of Jesus, the Messiah, that he's about to be healed. And this guy's been lame from birth. And so when he is healed, we see he's ecstatic, understandably. And he makes a scene. Everyone else might be there in the temple praying quietly, but he's not praying quietly. He's given these new legs a, a run for the money. He's literally jumping up and down, whooping and praising God. And he's doing all of this following Peter and John into the temple as the crowds come keeping a hold of them. And as people wonder what on earth is going on, they recognize he's the guy who's always there. He's that guy you try not to lock eyes with every day in the same place, begging, lame from birth. And so right in the heart of Jerusalem, right in the temple, while they're there trying to speak to God, God interrupts because he has something to say to them. And Peter tells them what God has to say. Look at verse 12. Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we've made this man work, walk? He's saying this, not saying anything about their power or their godliness. What is it really about? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. This is God getting their attention because he wants their attention to be on Jesus. And Peter makes this absolutely clear. Have a look at verse 16. He says, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. And just to make sure they get it, he says, It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. God has their attention. He wants to move them from amazement to faith in Jesus. And this brings us to our second point and and really what this passage and the whole book of Acts and life is all about. Getting the time right means getting Jesus right. God is getting their attention because they've not gotten Jesus right and they need to see that now is the time to change that. Look at just how wrong they got Jesus in verse 13. He says, You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he'd decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. Peter doesn't hold back. They got Jesus really wrong. And in getting Jesus wrong, they've got the time wrong. Look at how Peter puts it in verse 17. He says, Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. 
But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. They missed who Jesus was and killed him. But even that was always God's plan. Everything before Jesus pointed to him and even pointed to his his rejection and his death, they stand there in the temple praying to God, but they're still missing that the temple and the law don't stand at the center of history. Jesus stands at the center as the fulfillment of, of everything God's doing. And Peter tells them that they might be ignorant, but they're not innocent. And this brings us to our third point. Getting the time right means repentance. Look at verse 19. Peter says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Peter says, even though they've got Jesus wrong, now is the time they can change that. Now is the time when they can turn to Jesus and their sins can be wiped out. And if they see that now is the time to do that, Peter says that it's not too late for them to belong to the times that are coming in the future. Look at verse 19 again. Peter says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you. Even now, even after what they've done, God still wants them to be a part of the times that are coming. A future Peter describes as refreshing. Or in verse 21, he says, heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything. It's completely obvious what they need to do. They need to repent. They need to have their sins wiped out. They need to turn from wickedness to faith in Jesus. In our um, Western kind of way of thinking, we, we tend to relegate, relegate God to kind of a, a realm of existence that's, that's less solid in our minds, less real, less urgent than kind of everyday life around us. Do you feel that? Even, even us believers tend to do it. And so the idea of, of, of offending God for us, tends to feel less real, less solid, less urgent. Certainly less urgent or real than offending my partner or my boss or even my bus driver. So let me try and paint a, a different kind of example and, and see if this, this helps us feel just how real it is. So imagine if, if a friend of yours got engaged, and um, just before the engagement party, someone, another friend, tells you that the person they're engaged to is a fraud. He's a narcissist. He's just using your friend. He's done it before. He's not genuine. You know, he's one of those kind of coercive, controlling abusers. And so you show up at the engagement party, and you call him out and make a scene, and it's all a mess, but you think... Given the circumstances, you've done exactly the right thing. But then a few weeks later, you, you get a, a letter from your friend whose engagement party you trashed, and she tells you you've actually mistaken her fiancé for another guy with the exact same name. 
And you might have been ignorant, but she's not really holding you innocent in that. And the letter says the wedding is still happening regardless of what you did. But beyond all belief, although your friend's incredibly hurt, she, she says she still wants to forgive you, still wants you to be there at her wedding. And if you want that too, if you want to reconcile, she wants to send you the wedding invitation. Now, if you're reading that letter, and if you're reading the time right, what do you do with that? You don't do nothing. Because if you do nothing, you're not just going to miss the wedding. That friendship is, is over. It's dead if you do nothing. And you don't act like nothing happened. And, you, know, you don't sort of write back and say, yeah, sure, send me the invitation. I'll see if I'm free. Because unless you acknowledge the mess, the mess you've made of things, the relationship can never go forward. If you're reading that letter right and in the window of time that it opens up, then you see your mistake, you ask for forgiveness while that window is still open and only then is restoration possible. Now Peter is speaking to, to fellow Israelites who are there praying to God as if nothing ever happened. And he tells them they're in a situation like that, only what they've done is far worse. In their ignorance, he says, they've killed the author of life. The relationship they've trashed is far more real and the consequences are eternal. And Peter is speaking to, to fellow Israelites here, but do you realize that we are in a situation like that, just like them? I mean, whether ignorantly or deliberately, we don't naturally look to the author of life to see how he wants us to live our lives. What we do is either wish God was out of our lives or we live as if, if, as if he's dead to us. Our natural way of living is to kind of try and smother the author of life, suffocate him out of our lives so that we can get on with life peacefully doing whatever we want, authoring our own lives without guilt, without him. Just as much as, as them, we are holding a letter from God, inviting us to be a part of something beautiful that Jesus is doing, despite what we've done to him. But do nothing with that invitation. Act like nothing ever happened and we cannot be a part of what God is doing. Getting the time right, it, it means admitting we've got it wrong trying to do life without Jesus. Now, obviously, this message from Peter there in the temple, it, it speaks very clearly to people who haven't got Jesus right. Obviously, it, 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 turns, it speaks to people who haven't turned back to God. Uh, if that's you, it, it speaks urgently to you. It says, are you sure you're getting the time right? Are you sure you should relegate God to that realm of existence that's less real than everyday life around you? You know, God might not be getting your attention with a, a, a lame man kind of jumping around and, and whooping, but God has given you more than enough evidence to be able to read the time. When Jesus comes back or, 
or when you die, he's, he's not going to buy it that you don't have enough info to read the time. The evidence is, is there to be seen if you're willing to see it. When the times of refreshing come, when, when restoration of all things come, when we all see Jesus for who he really is, then the time is too late to turn to him. Then the time is too late to have our sins wiped out. Then it's, it's too late for us to want what he's offering. This is clear. Don't get the time wrong. Now, that's clear in this passage. It's clear, it's critical. But the vast majority of us are here because we've already got that. And so I want to ask us something differently. Different. I want to ask us who believe this already, how does knowing this affect how we live? How does it affect how we live? Like if I, um, if I somehow knew that next year the interest rates were going to jump to 17%, I imagine that would affect how I live, right? Don't you reckon? I mean, surely I'd, I'd at least be trying to pay down my home loan now as much as I could. If I'm tempted to fly to Sydney and see Taylor Swift, I'd be thinking, what am I doing? I need to use that money elsewhere. And I imagine every time I bought a coffee, even, I'd be thinking about it. Every time I was at the shops, I'd be thinking about it. If I thought about buying a new car, if I thought about changing jobs, if I thought about my kids' school or going on holidays. Now, if getting the time right when it comes to a home loan could affect my life so much, then how does getting the time right when it comes to what God is doing in all of history affect my life? It must touch almost every aspect of my life, right? And it does, doesn't it? You know, if I know times of refreshing and, and times of restoration come with Jesus, then when the, te- the world tells me that times of refreshing and, and restoration will come with other things, like having a lot of money or having a relationship or renovating the house or having an overseas holiday or even having kids, I don't buy it. I mean, some of those are a little bit more easy to see through than others, especially with hindsight. Now, I might still do those things, have kids, go on a holiday, all those things, but not built on the foundation that they will fulfill me, but built on the foundation that everything I do in this time is now done, turned fully toward Jesus, listening to him, waiting for him. Everywhere around us, we're told these days that life is all about now. Life is all about making the most of this moment. Life is about finding happiness now. But we see life is not about finding happiness now. It's not even about investing in future happiness now. Life is all about Jesus now. And forever. And so my life now is, is, is about turning away from trying to seek life outside of Jesus because the times of refreshing and restoration come with him. Getting the time right, it means we see that, that those times, they're actually in the future, not in this time. They come with Jesus. And that's true. But even now, already, 
they start to wash over us. The times of refreshing, the times of restoration, even now that they are the future, they come with Jesus. But even now, they start to wash over us. Back at the start of this passage, we see this bunch of people who get the time right. And we see some of the ways that times of refreshing and and restoration begin to wash over them. We, We get a taste of it. It's kind of like a taste of the wedding that's coming. And so I want to just finish by having a tiny look at what we see in these people. Because we get, so, we get to see some of the effects of, of turning away from wickedness, the effects it has on their life, some of the effects of putting their faith in Jesus and waiting for that day when restoration comes. So have a look as we finish just at that community in chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. I think we find parts of this description of the early church appealing. But parts of it we find uncomfortable. Because parts of it just seem so high bar so unattainable but remember this is not a list of of rules that we must do as a church to be genuinely getting the time right this is a description of the kind of things that can and and do happen among christians when we get the time right what happens is we listen to jesus we become people who are devoted to scripture because that's where we we hear the apostles witnessing to Jesus. We become people devoted to God, people constantly in prayer. We we become people devoted to each other. We might not express our devotion in exactly the same way as they do. They, They sound too communist for us. But like them, when we get the time right, stuff just starts to lose its hold on our hearts. And God ends up having a greater hold. And his people end up having a greater hold on our hearts. And it becomes a joy to use what we have to be devoted to God and devoted to each other. And you know what? I I see it here. I see it among you. I see people making meals for each other. Caring for each other in, in real and practical ways. People committed to each other. People meeting together joyfully, spending time together here on a Sunday, in community groups, just in life. That's the sort of thing that that flows from getting the time right. And even today, Compassion Sunday. You know, why in, in times of kind of financial difficulty would we invite Compassion to come and, and to encourage us to give away our money? We've been doing it for many years now. None of you have ever complained to me about it. Why would we sponsor children that that we will never meet in this life, most likely? Why, year after year, would would we urge each other on to try and sponsor even more children? It's because we know what time we are in. Now it's not the time when the task is making as much money as we possibly can so that we can leave it behind for our children. 
It's not the time to be gathering experiences in this world as if this is all we've got or making a name for us in career or even living through our children. We know this is a time when the task is that the name of Jesus should be taken to the end of the world. And so the idea of releasing a child from poverty in Jesus' name, doesn't that just make your heart sing? And that's just one example of getting the time right. It's just one example of something that we can't help but want to be a part of. Everything we do in life, we do in light of the time that we are in. So let me ask you, are you getting the time right? If you've never got the time right before, then get it right today. Turn to Jesus. It's more important than getting the the time right in any other area of life. And if you have got the time right, then let's help each other live every moment, every decision turned toward Jesus as we wait for him together to restore all things. Let me pray for us. Father, we we thank you for the way that when we see Jesus He evokes in us by your spirit, faith in him, that we see, yes, here is the rightful ruler of this world. That what he's done is not, definitely not the way we would do it. That he's humiliating death and his resurrection. All of that, Lord, is not our way. But, Lord, we thank you for the way that you allow us to see that is your way, truly your way. And your plan, that you've turned this world upside down and you are turning it upside down. And Jesus will return and restore this world. We thank you, Father, for the way you you generate that faith in us. But we ask, Lord, that you would generate it more and more. That you would enable us to live truly in, in light of the time that we are in. We would take the name of Jesus to the ends of this world that we would keep getting Jesus right in every decision and every moment. And Lord, that we would keep turning away from other things as if things outside of Jesus were what this time is about and keep turning to him. Lord, help us to be a church like this. Help us to be a church that helps each other live like this. We thank you for the, the times of refreshing that we get even now while we wait for Jesus' return. And Lord, we especially pray for those who still are not sure about Jesus. Who wish they could see the time the way he sees it. Lord, we ask that you would do a work in their heart to see the evidence. And more than that, Lord, to believe the evidence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.